But today, I want to answer a question that a lot of believers have at some point in their life asked themselves. That's what I want to do today. So turn with me, please, to Acts chapter 3. And we're going to read verses... I've just noticed in my notes that I've given you Acts chapter 3, verses 9 to 6, but 9 to 6 would not make sense. So I'm just going to check that it's not meant to be Acts chapter 6, which I think it is, 3 to 9. No. So it's probably Acts chapter 9, verse 3 to 6. Yes, Acts chapter 9, verse 3 to 6. Have you found Acts chapter 9? Have you found Acts chapter 9? Great. I'm going to read verses 3 through to 6. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Someone say, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Today, I want to talk to you about how to know God's purpose for your life. How to know God's will and purpose for your life. One of the most asked questions of believers is, why am I here? What is my purpose and calling in life? What is it that God has called me to do? Or like the Apostle Paul in the scripture, we just read, Lord, what do you want me to do? And that's what we're going to look at today, because I hope everyone knows that each and every one of us has a purpose. I hope you know that. You don't seem convinced. Are you aware that you have a purpose? Yes. There is a reason why God would form you a little bit like this glass and not just form you but why he would actually take the time to breathe life into you and then place you on this earth as part of a bigger picture and plan that he has for your life there is a reason for that hence why we say at this, the cornerstone church you are significant you have a plan and a purpose. And not just that, you have a plan and a purpose that God wants you to serve within your generation. Speaking of David in Acts chapter 13 and verse 36, we see that David served the purposes of God in his generation before he would pass on to glory. Each and everyone has a purpose to serve in our generation before our time here on earth is done. And with that in mind, the same Apostle Paul that we just read about in Acts says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 to 17, he says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. Someone say redeeming. redeeming. 
redeeming the time because the days are evil. He goes on to say, therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The reason why I got you to repeat that word redeeming is because that word redeeming is taken from a Greek word, which is pronounced exagerazo. It means do not waste time. It means make up lost time. It means hurry up. So the apostle Paul was saying, you don't have time to waste. Do not walk as fools. Be wise. Hurry up. Catch up lost time. Understand what God wants you to do and get on with it. And I want to say to each and every one of us, we don't have time to waste. Tell your neighbor, you're not getting any younger, you know. Okay. You cannot afford, however old you are, to wake up every day, go to work, only to come home, or these days we work from home, only to sign off every single day and yet feel unfulfilled with the work that you have done that day. You don't have time for that. You need to understand what the will of the Lord is for you. Because when you are walking in purpose, you might get tired from it, but you do not get tired of it. Did you hear what I said? The Bible says, do not grow weary in doing good, which means you can grow weary in doing good. When you're walking in purpose, you can get tired from it, but you do not get tired of it. And so the question that we are looking to answer today is, how do I go about finding and knowing God's purpose for our lives? And there are a number of things I want to give you in the three hours we have together. Just kidding. For those of you who've never been here before. First of all, if you want to know God's will for your life, it's very simple. Number one, guess what? Ask, ask God. Tell the person next to you, ask God. If you want to know the purpose for your life, who better to ask than the person who formed you, who created you, and put you here on earth? Notice in our opening scripture that the Apostle Paul did not ask friends. Neither did he ask family. Which is good for the Apostle Paul considering he didn't grow up in a Nigerian family. Because in a Nigerian family, and in some African uh, homes, you only have a choice of four occupations. Doctor, lawyer, engineer, or failure. <laughs> you choose, okay? The apostle Paul did not ask friends, he did not ask family, and there isn't necessarily something outrightly wrong with that, but he understood that if I'm gonna know my purpose and why God has put me here on earth, then I need to ask God. Now, the challenge that many of us have isn't that we don't have a vision. That's not our challenge. The challenge that many of us have isn't that we are not big picture thinkers. That's not the problem that we have. For many of us, our challenge is that we apply Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2 and 3 before we apply Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1. Now, for those of you who are not aware what Habakkuk 2, 2 says, it's a well-known verse in Christian quarters. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2 and 3 says this. Then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it? How many of you read or heard this verse before? 
Let me see by a show of hands. Well-known verse. Verse 3 says, For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak, it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Many of us have read this and we go and we get our notebooks and we get our vision boards and we plan our vision and we write big dreams. But actually, before we apply Habakkuk 2.2, let's apply Habakkuk 2.1. Because in Habakkuk 2.1, he said, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me. Capital H, God. And what I will answer when I am corrected. In other words, Habakkuk said, before I write the vision, I'm going to take time out, stand my watch, and wait and hear what God says to me because my vision is going to flow out of what he tells me. And when he says, I'm going to stand my rampart, he is speaking metaphorically. He doesn't mean literally. And he's using that of a metaphor to a watchman in those days. A watchman would stand in a high place, typically a watchtower, and they would observe the environment. They would observe the city. They would observe who's coming, who's going possible messengers that are leaving, possible messengers that are arriving, potential threats, people that are fellowshipping, having fun. He would observe. And Habakkuk said, before I write the vision, I'm going to stand and observe my environment. I'm going to observe what God is doing around me. I'm going to observe the comings and goings in my life. And I want to say to you that if you want to know God's will for your life, before you write your big dreams down, you need to take time out to stand your watch to pray, to fast, and hear what God will say to you as you observe your life, as you observe the patterns and your ongoings and your environment before you go ahead and write the vision. Tell the person next to you, ask God. So if you want to know God's will for your life, firstly, you need to ask God. Secondly, to understand God's purpose for your life, you need to understand the role of the mission and the method. The mission and the method. Someone say mission. Someone say method. Don't judge me because I put a small I in the middle of a capital mission. Mission and method. The mission is what you are called to do. The method is how you live out that calling in your life. In other words, the mission is your calling. Your method is your career. Now, let me tell you why people get stuck when it comes to knowing and finding their purpose. The reason why they get stuck is because they look to a career for a calling. They look to a career for purpose rather than looking for the calling first and then using this to live out their purpose through their career. Are you with me? So you will hear people say things like, I'm called to be a lawyer. No, you're not. That's your career. That's your vocation. That's not your calling. In the same way, if I was to ask you, what was Jesus' trade when he was on earth? He was a carpenter. 
Therefore, I guarantee you that if I was to say to you or ask you what is God's, what was the will of Jesus whilst he was here on earth, what was he called to do? You would not say carpentry. Why? Because carpentry was his trade. It was his career. Oh, but that's Jesus, you may think. Well, let's take this same Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul, when he was here on earth, what was the call of God for his life? To be an apostle. But yet his career was tent making. So if I said to you, what was the call of God for the apostle Paul? You would not say to me to be a tent maker because that was his career, his vocation, not his calling. The will of God for your life, your calling, your purpose, is often a theme. It's often a mission statement, not a vocation. So if we take those same two examples, Jesus' career was carpentry. His calling was to die for each and every one of us so that we could be in relationship with him and to establish his kingdom here on earth. Do you see the difference between his career and his calling? Do you see the difference? The apostle Paul, his career was tent making, but yet he was called to be apostle. It's right there. He says it at the beginning of most of his letters and he says it right there in Romans 1.1. Let's have it on the screen, please. In Romans chapter one, verse one, Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ. What does it say? called to be an apostle separated to the gospel of God. What was the will of God for the apostle Paul? To be apostle separated to the gospel of God. Career and calling. God's plan and purpose for my life is to help people grow. That's what he's called me to do. To help people grow. Grow spiritually, grow mentally, grow emotionally, grow relationally, grow their opportunities. It is to help people grow. So whether I am pastoring, running a social enterprise, writing a book called Relationship Matters, there is a constant theme through them all. Helping people grow. Helping people grow spiritually, Helping people grow mentally through my businesses, helping people grow relationally through my book. And by the way, another way to have God confirm what he's called you to do is to look back at the common theme of your life over the last few years. And that will confirm what God has called you to do. So whether it's pastoring, whether it's social entrepreneurship, whether it's relationship matters, whatever it may be, the method may change. The calling always stays the same. Did you hear me? The method may change. The calling always stays the same. When you understand this, you don't get so bogged down with the change here, as long as you're walking in this. And there are so many people who get so bogged down with their change of career. Don't worry about the change of career as long as you're walking in your calling. That's the most important thing. Now, I understand that there are some people, some people who are actually walking in their calling. But where they struggle 
is knowing when it's time to embrace the next method that God has for them to live out their calling. And I always say that you will know the signs of transition. And when God is transitioning you from one method to another through this unsettling that he will put in your spirit. It's not that anything is majorly, majorly uh, wrong. You just have this unsettling in your spirit. And when that happens, I always say to people that these are the four P's you want to have in place. You want to look for the promptings in your spirit. The things that are beginning to prompt you, you think more and more about the fact that mm, something needs to change. Mm, I just don't feel settled. I don't feel comfortable. I don't feel like I'm uh, fulfilling God's purpose at this moment. You, you will still be in purpose. These are just signs of transitions. Okay, you need to look for the promptings. After the promptings, you need to look at how your passions are changing. Okay, look at how your passions are changing. Observe how your passions may be changing. After the promptings, after the passions, and here's a P that most people leave out, you need to have a plan. I am a person of faith and I believe in faith, but I do not believe in stepping out and neglecting your responsibilities. Now people think, oh, I know, I know the will of God for my life now, I'm just gonna quit my job and they're four months in debt from, from rent. They've got a family to feed, no. You've gotta have a plan in place to transition from one method to another. After the promptings, after the passions are changing and you have a plan, then you're looking for peace. And once you've got the promptings, once you start to notice your passion changing, once you have that plan in place that is confirmed with peace. But here's the other thing you need to know. If you think that you are going to have all of the answers you need before you transition from one career to another or from one method to another, you will stay where you are for a very long time. If you think that you need to have the full picture before you move, you're not going to move. And let me tell you this, newsflash, God is not going to give you the whole picture. He's going to unravel it bit by bit. How do I know this? Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. What does it say? Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. This is Solomon. Sorry, Ecclesiastes chapter, yeah, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Watch this. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work God does from beginning to end. He puts eternity in man's heart so that you will not know from beginning to the end. He's not going to give you the whole picture. We see examples of this in the Bible. Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abraham, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Newsflash, if you met Abraham on his journey and you asked him, where are you going? Do you know what he'd say to you? I don't know. Does that mean God wasn't guiding him? 
Does that mean he wasn't in purpose? See, the thing is, you think you need to have all the answers before you move. And a lot of times, the reason why we feel we need to know the answers is usually one of two things. One, because we're a control freak. And two, because we're worried about how other people may perceive us if we don't know what we're doing. Abraham was within the will of God. He was being obedient, yet he would tell you, I don't know. Have you ever met someone who doesn't know, but yet they answer the question like they know? And you just think to yourself, all you had to say is, I don't know. And it would have been fine. It would have been okay. If you met Abraham, when he was Abraham, he would have said, I don't know. But I'm just going to be obedient to what God tells me to do. I'm just going to follow the promptings and I'm going to obey his voice. A great example of this is found with Peter in Matthew chapter 14, verse 25. A great story that we all know. It reads as follows. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer. It is I, do not be afraid. So this is Jesus walking on water. The disciples are on the boat. Verse 28. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So let me guess what your Bible says. Verse 29. So he said, come. But when you step up the boat, you're going to begin to sink. And when you're sinking, don't worry. I'm going to grab your hands and I'm going to save you. Is that what your Bible says? What does Jesus say? Come how? Come when? Jesus just says, come. Um, okay. So you want me to just come? Like now? When? How? He doesn't give him the full picture. He doesn't tell him that he's going to drown along the way and he's going to save him. He just says, come. And oftentimes, God's will is an unraveling. Go. Come. Stay. Do. Don't do. Yes. No. He doesn't give you the full picture in one go. Proverbs 16 verse 19 describes it best. A man's heart plans his way. We all have dreams and visions. But the Lord directs his steps. Now think about this. The scripture says the Lord directs his steps. Which means there has to be movement for him to direct you. Because you cannot direct anything or anyone that is not moving. The problem is many of us are waiting for God to give us the full picture. And he's on the other side waiting for you to take the step. And whilst you're waiting for him to reveal the whole thing, which he's not, you find yourself stuck in this position. Wasting time sometimes. I hope you know that if you drove here today and you wanted to get to another county and you put an address in your satnav, the satnav doesn't give you all of the instructions in one go. The satnav doesn't say, go to the end of the road, turn left. At the bottom of the road, turn right. When you go right, go. It doesn't do that. What does it say? At the end of the road, turn left. It gives you the first instruction. And here's the thing. You don't get the next instruction until you've obeyed the first. I'm preaching better than you guys are looking at me today. 
He doesn't give you the second. The satnav doesn't tell you the next instruction until you've obeyed the first. But guess what? Even the satnav can't help you if you are not moving. And so many of us, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? And God has put this prompting in your spirit and he's waiting for you to move, to unravel it to you. But you think you need to have the whole picture. Why doesn't he give us the whole picture? Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. If you had the whole picture, you don't need faith. Those of you that drive in here, you're not, you're not believing on God in faith for a car. You don't have faith for what you already have. And so if you had the whole picture, you wouldn't need the faith. The Bible says, lean on him, trust not in your own understanding. He wants you to walk by faith. And here's another reason why he doesn't give you the whole picture, by the way. If he gave you the whole picture, you would not want to fulfill the plan and purpose for your life. He gave Joseph a dream. In that dream, Joseph didn't see the prison. If he showed Joseph the prison, Joseph would have said, oh, thanks, Lord, but I'm not about that life. Thanks. He will show you elements of the picture because he doesn't want to scare you. David, you'll be anointed king. I'll send the prophet Samuel to tell, that, tell you that, but I ain't going to tell you that Saul's going to be chasing you for about eight years, trying to kill you every single day. If you knew what was involved, you'd be scared to take the step. But guess what? Even with those two examples, David and Joseph, being hunted down, being in the prison, those were not indicators of being out of purpose. And many of us think because we have storms and challenges along the way that we're not in God's will for our life. No one said it's going to be easy. All I'm saying is that he's not going to give you the full picture in one go. Tell the person next to you, you need to step out. And so if you want to know God's will for your life, you need to ask God. You need to understand the role of the mission and the method. And number three, you need to be faithful where you are now. You need to be faithful where you are now. Ecclesiastes chapter nine, verse 10. This is Solomon, the wisest man to have ever lived. And he says this, whatever you find your hands to do, do it with your might. Some version will say all your might, whatever, whatever given thing you do, do it with all your might. Just because you now know God's purpose for your life, just because you have these passions and these promptings is not justification for you to not be faithful where you are. In Luke chapter 16, when you read verses 10 to 13, we are challenged in which Jesus says, who will trust you with the riches of another if you're not, who will trust you with, how will he trust you with riches if you're not faithful to another's? You know, I always tell people, I actually, believe it or not, I actually have no real concern about how attendees, members of this church, people who serve under my leadership, I actually really um, don't have any real concern about how they serve under me or speak about me when I'm not present. I have no concern. Because the Bible says you reap what you sow. 
so I'm actually not like that concerned. And there are people who think that they can do their manager's job, who think that they can lead a church, that they can pastor, that they can run a team. And because of that, they speak ill-mannered of their boss, their leader, and don't understand that they're not being faithful to where they are, but actually they're sowing discord. And notice the Bible says you reap what you sow. It doesn't say you reap where you sow. Some people sow discord in the church and reap it in their home. So it's you sow what you reap what you sow, not necessarily where you sow. And I always challenge people because people think that one day they want to run their business and they want to lead a team. But I ask them, are you being faithful where you are now? Ephesians chapter 6. I didn't give you guys this scripture, but if you can find it. Ephesians chapter 6. And I think it's verse 5 onwards. And if we can find it, I want you to notice what it says. Now, don't think about these words because we don't have time contextually to talk about slaves and masters in this scripture. I want you to look at the principle that Paul gives us. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. With fear and trembling, in sincerity, sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service. Don't just do it because they're around. Don't just do it because they're watching. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. This is what else says. With good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Verse eight. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord. You reap what you sow. Whatever good you do, you'll also reap from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. The principle here is when you go to work, don't just give eye service. Work where you are unto God. Be faithful where you are. You want to run your business one day. You don't want your employees cheating on you, but you get in late and you clock out early. If you can't say amen, just say ouch. And then you have the audacity to tell your work colleagues you're a Christian. And they won't say it to you, but they think, oh, okay. And then they watch you come late and they watch you go early just because your boss is not around. When we are called to be the light in darkness. Be faithful where you are. Now, let me tell you why else you need to be faithful where you are, aside from sowing and reaping. The other reason why you need to be faithful where you are and in what you're doing, and I wrote it down because I didn't want to get it wrong when it was real to me, is that oftentimes it is in your attitude and obedience to where, towards where you don't want to be and what you don't want to do that is often the door to where you want to be and where God wants to take you. Oftentimes, it is in your attitude and obedience towards where you don't want to be and what you don't want to do 
that is often the door to where you want to be and where God wants to take you. You see, God doesn't tempt us, but he tests us. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus is led to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. But look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, very closely. Jesus was led up by Satan. By who? The Spirit, capital S. God was the one that put him in that environment. And then he was tested by the enemy. Some of you, God has put you in an environment because he wants to test your attitude and obedience towards that colleague who you think is the devil. <laughs> towards that boss that you hate. And the reason why he puts you in these tested environments is because he wants to do more in you and with you, but he needs to perfect your character first. He has a plan and a purpose for you, but he's testing your attitude and obedience. He's testing your faithfulness towards what you don't want to do under the person you do not want to do it for and seeing if you will be faithful and committed, like Solomon told us, to do it with all your might. I want to give you some context to this story that I want to tell you in closing because my time is far spent. But the disclaimer here is that in telling you this, I'm not telling you this to boast in myself, but I'm telling you this to give you some context. Several years ago, when I was studying in university, I was also running a business at the same time that would go into schools and deliver talks. And that started to pick up and I would start to make some money from that. And, I love, and, and looking back, I would say I've always kind of been quite fairly um, business minded or thinking of businesses in that way. I've always been um, someone who's thought about how can something be done in a different way or in a better way. Um, and because my business was picking up, I really didn't want to be in university. I just wanted to go out there and make more money. And um, some of you will know that my degree, degrees are usually three years, I'd done mine in two and a half because I wrote to the board and I asked them if they can give me credits from the following year, this year. And so they said, we can do that, but if it impacts your result, that is down to you because you're taking on extra modules before your time. So I asked to do that so that I could finish my degree in two and a half years, which I did instead of three, so that I could quickly get out of there and continue my business. Our church, the Cornerstone Church, started in August 2014. Sunday, the 3rd of August 2014. Now think about this. August 2014, we started. You have September, October, November, December, then January 2015. The church had only been four months. It's 10 years this year. It's only been four months. We get to January 2015, and God says to me, Quinle, I want you to stop doing your business, and I want you to stop looking for a job, and I want you to go full-time in church. The church is only four months old. We have very little to know funds and me being the humble obedient christian pastor said of course not <laughs> no 
because I know how Christian people can be. Christians will fly business class and then complain that their pastor is flying economy. I said, no, I want to be able to feed and fund myself. God said, I'm going to shut every door that comes your way. I went for various different jobs. He was just closing them. There was one job I was like, God, I've got you. They've offered me the job. They offered me the job. Two weeks later, still no start date. Three weeks later, oh, sorry, the funding has been cut. We can't offer you this role anymore. God said, I gotcha. <laughs> so I end up going full time at church. And remember, we've got little to no money. So it was one of those ones where when people would invite me out, there's rice and stew at home. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I'm not really that hungry. You know? It's not that you're not hungry. You know why you're saying that. You know the stew at home hasn't even defrosted yet. I was like, there's rice and stew at home, it's cool. And thankfully, I was still living at home. So in terms of rents and bills and that kind of thing, it wasn't that much of an issue. So I'm full time in the church. And then we get to the end of 2015. A job calls me. They got my details for a recruitment agent. And they say, hey, we've got this job. It's only six weeks long. It's just a small contract that we want you to come for. As they're speaking to me on the phone, the Holy Spirit says, go for it. I'm like, it's nice of you to have pity on me now. <laughs> to go for a job. He's like, go for it. But I'm like, actually, I don't want this job. And I don't want to go for this job. And it's only six weeks. What is that going to do? The Holy Spirit said, go for it. So I said, okay, I'll go for it. I went in for the first interview in November. And then I went for the second interview, which was a presentation on the 17th of December, I remember the dates. And in this presentation, they asked me to do a presentation and they asked me questions. And I really thought I didn't get this job because I specifically remember there was a panel and I remember they would ask me questions and it was as if I was getting every question wrong. And I remember one time they said, okay, so a program of this nature, if you were to design it and deliver it, how long do you think it will take? And with my chest, I was like, two weeks. And they looked at each other and they looked at me and said, something like this would typically take at least two months. I said, that's what I meant, two months. <laughs> and so I didn't think I would get the job. But lo and behold, they called me and they offered me the job and I still didn't want to do it. And God said, take the job. I said, but it's only six weeks. He said, take the job. So I take this job. And this job involves me taking on a project that they got funding for, delivering this project for them. And that's the end of the contract, six weeks. The only problem is, is that I've done my induction, I've started this job, but the contract has been delayed. The funding for the contract has been delayed. So I literally, I'm in this workplace, but they can't send me home because I've already started to come in, but there's nothing for me to do. The only thing worse than a job that you don't like is having a job you don't like with nothing to do. Because at least when you don't like the job, but you have something to do, time flies by. But when you have nothing to do, oh my gosh, it's as if the day takes forever to go by. And I hated coming in, having nothing to do. If the door of the company was the back door, there were days, literally, I would be walking towards work and I would stop and I would look at it and I would sigh. And I would tell myself, oh, it's just six weeks, it's just six weeks. 
I would come late to try and waste time. I tried every trick in the book. I'd go to the toilet, lock myself in the bathroom, get my phone out. Some of you know what I'm talking about. But how many of you know there's only so long you can be in there? People come in, <laughs> they think what's going on, you pretend like using the toilet, you grab some tissue. I tried every trick in the book. I offered to be the tea maker. You want a cup of tea? Want a cup of tea? I'll get you a cup of tea. Tracy, you want a cup of, you better take a cup of tea. Okay, two sugars. You could carry two cups with two hands. I intentionally would take one cup at a time. Go back upstairs, take anything and everything to waste time. I would shadow people. If people were going out on trips, I would go out on trips. And then one day out of pure frustration, I said, Lord, why did you bring me here? What do you want me to do? And God said, finally, I'm glad you asked me. And he said, the first thing I want you to do is be faithful to your employer. Be on time. Stop wasting time. Offer, offer to help out in any way you can whilst you're waiting. And then I will reveal to you what the plan and purpose is for you being here. So I decided to do this. I decided that I'll stop taking lunch early, hoping that the day would go by if I took lunch at 11.30 instead of 12.30. And I would serve faithfully. And then one day, Collie walks up to me, drops this file on my table and says, whilst you're waiting for the contract to start, which is gonna start in a few weeks, you might wanna look at this document. In this document, it will show you the funding contract and the funding bid that we used to successfully win this grant. Before I opened it, it's as if I had a light bulb moment because I'd been working in this sector for a while, but the one skill that I lacked was fundraising. And so I opened the document Oh, look at that. Just by example, babe. I turn to Esther. Come on, what's the chances of that? And so I open this document and I'm looking at it, the questions. And I'm looking at the funding bid. And no word of a lie, I sat there and I said to myself, oh my gosh, I can do this. And in that moment, God said, this is why I brought you here. But he said, first of all, I needed to test your attitude and your obedience towards one, accepting the job and two, being in a place where you didn't want to be and whether you'd be faithful. Now, the truth is, I'll be honest with you, I didn't even finish the contract. After I read the documents, I told them, this is my last week here. After that week, I went home, wrote my first funding bid for £10,000. Got that £10,000 and was able to use this as salary. Now remember, I didn't quit my job without a plan. I was living at home. So in terms of rent and such, I was covered. Since getting that first £10,000 in 2016, because we've now gone into the new year, eight years later, I've never had to work for anybody because I got funding upon funding upon funding, salary upon salary upon salary upon salary. <laughs> I set myself some financial goals a couple of years ago that I thought would take me years to accomplish. 
one day the Holy Spirit said, look, one of the goals that you set for the next five, six years financially, you've achieved in three months. I've had the privilege to employ people. And as I say, I don't say that because I'm boasting. I say that because it all started with a seed. Being obedient and then changing my attitude towards where God put me. Some of you, you don't like where you are. Maybe you need to stop and say, Lord, why did you bring me here? Why am I in this job? Who is it that perhaps he has there for you to connect with that your eyes have been blinded to see because you've been complaining and complaining and complaining? You want to know God's will for your life and purpose for your life? Ask him. Understand the role between the mission and the method. But be faithful where you are. I want us to bow our heads. And I want you to speak to God in this moment and say, Lord, I don't want to waste time wondering the about the plans and purposes that you have for me. I know that you have a plan. I know that you have a purpose. I know that you have called me for a time like this. So Lord, help me to understand the plans and purposes that you have for my life. Help me to know your will for my life. And Lord, even in the midst of understanding and knowing what you've called me to do, help me to understand the transitions of seasons, the promptings, the changing of passions. Help me, Lord, that I may have a plan and adopt the peace in order to step out and step out of the boat and step out of a familiar land to embrace the plans and purposes that you have for me and for my life. That it may be said of me that I served my generation whilst here on earth. In Jesus' name, we have prayed.